All right. Hebrews chapter 10. Now, real quick, we were um, we were actually we're starting a new we're start, not starting. We're picking up a part two of our series, uh, which was only supposed to be, again, a one shot like spiritual warfare was ended up being three Sundays. Um, but suffice to say, we were going to I felt the Lord impressed on me, say high priest. And so as I started studying the high priest, the Lord began to unveil some things. And even last night, I was actually putting the verses in. And as I was putting verses in, the Lord began to show me more. And so I am very excited. In fact, Miss Cook, you actually quoted a verse that we're going to share towards the end if we have enough time. Uh, Psalm 37, verse four, he will give you the desires of your heart. And so we're going to come to that if we have time. But man, I am excited. Oh, man, I'm excited today. Let me just say this. I have just been meditating since last night. I had a hard time going to sleep because I was so excited about today. My adrenaline was running. I was laying in the bed, eyes wide open like, God, this is not happening because it's already three o'clock in the morning and I need to go to sleep. And then I woke up at eight, hit the ground running. I'm ready. So are you ready for the word? So let's pick up in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's look at Jesus. And before we do, let me say this. Did you know that for the last 2000 years, Jesus has had one job? One. I know some people have a hard time keeping a job for more than a year. Jesus has had the same job for 2,000 years. And that job is the job of a high priest. Now, in the Old Testament, that was a job because you never stopped working. You never sat down. You were on your feet uh, the whole day. And then when the day ended, you went home. But when you came back, you were always on your feet. Jesus has been a high priest for the last 2,000 years. But I submit to you, after he did his work, he stopped. And the Bible says, God told him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So as a high priest, he's actually been reclining. And all of us in him, we should be reclining as well. Amen. Amen. All right, let's dive into it. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll pick up at verse 11. Verse 11 says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, capital M, after he had offered one sacrifice for what? For sins. Now, we have to get this right. And I know in this church we talk about it a lot. But we have to get this right. Because everyone is going to challenge you on what you believe at some point in your life. Someone is going to say, how can you believe that? Right here. One sacrifice, not for me to be a better person, not for me to uh, have a chance to make it to heaven. No, one sacrifice for sins forever. Once for all time. Sin has been taken care of one time for all time. Sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Hold on one second. Watch this. Look at verse 12 real quick. Notice what the context is. He's talking about Old Testament priest, but now we're talking about Jesus as a high priest, right? And when you talk about a high priest, you normally don't think about spiritual warfare because a priest actually, most of them say this, the high priest doesn't necessarily go on the battlefield with you. Now, there were times in the Old Testament, the priest would put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They would go into battle and they would win. But the high priest was never actually mentioned as being the one to take them into battle. Now, the reason why I say that is this. Notice verse 13. From that time waiting till his enemies, his enemies are made his footstool. I submit to you. How does your high priest fight? He does it in the presence of God. How do you fight in the presence of God? You don't fight God. You come to God and you let God know what was going on. Then he tells you to sit until I make your enemies your footstool. And he fights the battle for you. Isn't that awesome? So watch this. This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever 
those who are being sanctified. I love that first, especially when it comes to holiness people. He has perfected you forever. Not until your next sin, not until you get your life right, not until you decide, okay, Lord, I, I surrender now. I, I, was, I was following you, and then I turned and I ran, but now I'm back. No, no, no. He perfected you forever. That time while you were running, you were still perfected because it was a one-time perfection that lasted all time. The problem with most believers, and we shared this last Sunday, the problem with most believers that I see is this. We have a hard time accepting who we actually are. It's like... Um, I have a dog named Connor, okay? Now, Connor is a dog. He is every much of a dog. He barks at the wrong times, all right? He howls whenever we howl. Connor is every bit of a dog. But if Connor hangs out with a cat long enough, I don't think this is true, but if he were to hang out with a cat, if he were to be raised by cats, and cats don't bark, they meow. Are you with me? All right, they purr. Connor, after a while, might be confused and think he's a cat. One day, Connor sees a dog walk by him and says, I look more like you than I look like them. Are you with me? I know this is a dumb illustration, but my point is this. Once he realizes, wait a second, I'm not a cat. I'm actually a dog. I will start acting like a dog. My whole life, I've wanted to bark. My whole life, I've wanted to scratch the fleas. My whole life, I've wanted to shake and, and roll in mud like dogs do. I wanted to be a dog my whole life. But I was raised by a cat, so I didn't know any better. And I believe that's the problem with most believers. They received Christ. They're no longer sinners. They are now the righteousness of God in Christ. They want to bark. They want to do the right things. They're not looking for an excuse to do the wrong things. They're looking for an excuse to do the right things. But the church has done a horrible job. We've told dogs that they are cats. We've told believers that they are sinners saved by grace. And all the while, the confusion settles in, so they continue to act like sinners. But internally, they want to do the right thing. I believe the moment Jesus comes in you, even though you do the wrong things, you still want to do the right things. And Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Once you are alive, it is hard to act like you're dead. <laughs> right? So what happens is this. They struggle with identity. They struggle, they struggle. And finally, one day, someone says, from Center Church, someone says, you might be sinning, but you are still the righteousness of God in Christ. And all of a sudden, light shines forth. All of a sudden, they realize these are people who are acting out what they want to act out as well. I'm a dog, but I've been trapped hanging around with cats. Now I'm ready to act like a dog. That was a horrible illustration. Are you still with me? All right. Are you with me? I'm a righteous person, but I've been hanging out with sinners so long I forgot how to. But I see you have it, and that's what I want to do. Stop telling them that they are sinners and start telling them, hey, you are righteous. Because he's perfected you forever. Now, the beauty of the high priest, and we shared this last week. In fact, can you show the next one? It's the passion, the passion translation, not the message. Is this the message? It is the message translation. Can you back up? It is. I think I wrote passion. It's supposed to be message. I could be wrong. I'll look it up. Either way, the problem, not the problem, the beauty of the high priest is this. And we shared this last week and we're just moving along because I want to come to the end. I'm excited about the end. The beauty of the high priest is that in the Old Testament, the high priest did not represent God to man. He represented man to God. Are you with me? When God gave the Ten Commandments, God said, "Okay, now these are the big ten. But the moment the big ten came out of his mouth, he knew in his heart man will fail. So what did he do? I'm not going to judge you based on yourself. I will judge you now based on your high priest. Thank you. All right. I will judge you based on your high priest. And as your high priest is, so will you be. So today, God is not judging us in ourselves. God is judging us in Christ, our high priest. So the question should never be, is God accepting me? It should always be, is God accepting Jesus, who is our 
high priest. The question is not, is God angry with me? The question should always be, is God angry with Jesus, our high priest? Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Now, I'm going to show you that verse in just a moment, but look at the passion real fast. Uh, in fact, go ahead and fast forward. We don't need to see this. We just touched it. Look at Colossians real quick. Colossians chapter 2 says this, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Jesus has made alive together with him, having forgiven, sorry, God has made, made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Not some, not most. He has forgiven you. How many? All. all. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements. What was that? What was the handwriting of requirements? The law. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So something spiritual happened at the cross that nobody else saw. At the cross, God took the Ten Commandments and God nailed it to the cross. Now that it's been nailed, it has been removed. Are you with me? Now for the unbeliever, it has not yet been removed because they are not in Christ. But the moment you say, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, you are now crucified with Christ. The law has been nailed to the cross. And there, the full weight and judgment of the cross has fallen on you in Christ. Now, God's judgment is not just taken away. God's judgment has fallen on you, but it fell on you in Christ. And as Christ died, so you died in Christ. And as Christ was buried, so you were also buried in Christ. Now that Christ has been raised from the dead, you are now raised from the dead where? In Christ. And as Christ is now seated at the right hand, where are you? Seated in Christ. Now watch this. Look at verse 15. The very next verse says, having disarmed principalities and powers. I love this verse. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Isn't it beautiful? I hate when people preach and teach like the devil has more power than the average believer. Not when he's been disarmed. (laughs) Not when he's been disarmed. You go to a fight and the other person has no weapon, but you have an arsenal. (laughs) He's been disarmed. And where was he disarmed? At the cross. You know, the Bible says on that day, he will bring him out and bring him before all the kings of the world. And they will say, is this the one that fooled us? This is him. This is the one that they preached and taught that had all this power and that made people tremble in fear. This is him. And yet my Bible says he has been disarmed. He has no weapon. He has no weapon. And our high priest is in the presence of God making intercession for all of us. Aren't you happy? Anyways, I'm excited. So the next verse real quick. First John 4. Now this is the verse we were quoting. And I love this verse. Watch this. Look at verse 16. And we have known and believed. It's not enough to just know it. You have to also believe it. In fact, I wrote a blog about this. It's up now. If you go to MatthewEdwards.cc. But it says this. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Now, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as Jesus is, so are we where? In this world. Now, again, we just said this, but don't let anyone convince you otherwise. Don't let anyone rob you of God's truth. Nobody sees truth like God. The doctor might give you facts, but facts are always subject to change. God's word is truth. Truth will never change. When God says, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. As far as God is concerned, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. And you know what? 
we should agree with his word. Stop trying to make God agree with us. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they agree? So let's agree with God. Can Jesus become sick? Can Jesus be poor? Can Jesus go without? Of course not. Then as Jesus is, so are you in this world. Let me ask you this. Does Jesus have the favor of God? Then so do you. Is Jesus protected at the right hand of God? Then so are you. No matter what it looks like, as Jesus is, so are you. And oh, one day when I get to heaven, I'll be like him. No, as Jesus is, so am I where? In this world. Don't let religion rob you. As Jesus is, so am I in this world. What if you don't act like Jesus? This is not contingent on me. <laughs> you know, in fact, I was writing this blog and, it, and I started to um, kind of uncover a little bit more while I was writing. And one of the beautiful things about this is this. Love has been perfected. Do you know that love is never truly felt until the one that's supposed to be loved is at their worst? You know, when you go on a date, all right, you go, well, let's say the first time I went on a date, I dressed up, I put my best clothes on, I put some cologne, deodorant, I made sure I brushed my teeth, all right, make sure I smell good. I didn't put my shirt on until I got there because I didn't want it to get wrinkled on the way, right? I put on my, I put my best foot forward. If you remember that first date, just smile, all right? You, you go out and you try to be your best. And when you get there, you hope that the other person across from you likes what they see. Now, let me say this, four, five, six, seven years later, and a couple fights down the road, that person on the first date is no longer there because that person on the first date was not the real you. That was just the you that you wanted them to like and wanted them to accept. But now that you've had a couple fights, now we're getting to see the real you. I can say after four years of marriage, Christina has finally saw the real Matthew. And I have seen the real Christina. And I am more in love. And so are you in Jesus name. Everyone said. <laughs> now, why am I saying all that? Because look up here. When we receive Christ, we think, man, I want to be the best I can be. But love is never truly felt until you are at your worst. And the one that's giving love still loves anyways. Are you with me? So watch this. Love has now been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Why would you be judged if you never made a mistake? It's in the day that you make the mistake and the judgment comes. In that day, if you can stand up and say, as Jesus is, so am I, then God's love has been perfected in you. God's love has been perfected in you. In that moment at your failure, in that moment when you sin, if you can stand up and say, but as Jesus is, so am I in this world. God's love is perfected in you. Isn't that beautiful? I think he loves you. <laughs> I think he loves you. Now, can I show you the high priest? Can I show you the high priest? What time is it? What time is it? Okay. I skipped a lot of details to get to this point, but don't worry. Next Sunday, we will make sure that we cover some things we missed. Now, let me show you your high priest. Can you go to the next one? Now, watch this. This is our high priest. And I know that it's a little far, a little blurry. We're going to zoom in in just a moment. Now, we're not going to look at all the garments, but suffice to say this. Last Sunday, what we meant to cover and what we covered very uh, briefly was how you see Jesus. In fact, last Sunday, it was supposed to be all about how you see Jesus determines how you receive from him. And what I didn't tell you last week was this. There's a story where Jesus at one point had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. You remember that story? In fact, if you back up, what happened was this. Jesus was on his way to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. And on the way, a woman with an issue of blood came behind and touched the hem of his garment. You remember that? 
She got healed of a 12 year long disease of constant bleeding. 12 years of bleeding came to an end right there in that moment when she touched the hem of his garment. After that, Jesus goes and raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. It becomes so popular and so well known that the Bible says in the very next verse, Jesus goes back home to his home village, his hometown. And while he's there, the Bible says after he was teaching and preaching, he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick and they were healed. Now, that always got my attention. Why was it or how is it that Jesus can be somewhere in the flesh? I'm talking about he is here and only a few people can get healed. Only a few people can receive from him. Now, if I knew Jesus raised a dead girl back to life, I'm bringing every sick person I know in town. I mean, think about it. Every sick person I can think of, you're coming with me to church because Jesus is here. But Jesus is at home and only a few people get healed. What's the problem? If you keep reading, the Bible says this, that the people in his home village, they marveled at him and said, who is this? The son of Mary and the son of Joseph, the carpenter. And what wisdom is this that he performs such miracles? They knew he raised the dead. They knew he was healing the sick, but they saw him as the son of Mary and Joseph. So they couldn't receive from him. How you see Jesus determines if you will be able to receive from him or not. Are you with me? So we must see him as he is, as Jesus is. So are you in this world? Now, that was supposed to be last Sunday. We only touched it briefly. But this Sunday, I want to challenge you to see how does God see Jesus? Because when you see how God sees Jesus, I hope it fills your heart with more love for your Savior. So are you ready? Now, everything we're going to see right here, we're going to look in Exodus chapter 28. That's going to be our foundational text. You can turn there. Exodus chapter 28. But before we do again, we're only going to cover, um, in fact, two places on this. Everything we're going to see on our high priest is external. God's telling the high priest Aaron at the time, I want you to wear this on the outside. But everything external is to show us a truth that is internal for him. So are you with me? So let's pick up in Exodus chapter 28. Can you show the first one? Exodus chapter 28. Now we're going to skip down to verse 9. And the reason why is this. In verses 1 through 8, God says, hey, I want you to make the garment of the ephod blue. Uh, I want you to make it with blue, scarlet, fine linen, gold, and don't tell me, don't tell me, purple. Is it purple? What is it? It's purple, scarlet, fine linen, and blue. That's what it is. And then I want you to use gold for it. Now, the reason why we're skipping over those details is because of this. The four colors represent the four gospels. So we're not here to look at that just yet. But I want you to see when God looks at Jesus as our high priest, what does he see? The four colors represent the four gospels. And we won't get into that, right? And he says, you will engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and six names on the other stone in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone like the engravings on a signet, you shall engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. Now watch this. You shall set them in settings of gold. Can you say gold? Gold. Can you say gold? Gold. Now show the next one real quick, Carmen. Verse 12. And you shall put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as, a mem- as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. So Israel shall bear the names I'm sorry, so Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. Now show the picture real quick. Now watch this. On Aaron's shoulders, and don't forget, Aaron is the high priest. And I like this picture particularly because he has the beard. (laughs) Why the beard? Jesus is not an old man in God's presence. But the beard speaks of maturity. All right? It speaks of maturity. So watch this. Jesus in God's presence, God says on the shoulders of the high priest, onyx stones. 
Onyx is a pale green. Now, green in the Bible, and let me say this. We're going to be looking at the high priest this morning, and we'll look at it next week as well. But listen, in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this. I wish that I, and I'm paraphrasing, I wish that I could tell you about Melchizedek and the high priest. I have much to say about him, but you are dull of hearing and still need milk. Now, that's in Hebrews. He says you're dull of hearing and you still need milk. You still need to be taught the elementary truths. So everything we're sharing this morning, I believe, is for mature believers, because that's what he says in Hebrews. So if you don't get it this morning, don't worry. Just get the CD. (laughs) Sound good? Now, real quick, on the shoulders, what do shoulders represent in the Bible? Strength. Strength. And green, onyx stones. Onyx is a pale green. What does green represent in the Bible? Green speaks of something that's new, something that's fresh, something new, uh, new life, fresh, okay? What covenant are we under, an old or new? The new covenant. The new covenant. Watch this real quick on the shoulders. Can you show the next one? Watch this. In Luke 15, look at this about the shoulders. In, the Luke, in Luke 15, verse 4, Jesus is giving the parable of the good shepherd. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. Do you see that? Watch this on his shoulders. He has green stones and on the stone, not written, but engraved. Why engraved? If it was written, it could be marked out. But if it's engraved, it can never be removed. Are you with me? Then on top of that, green speaks of new, the new covenant. In the new covenant, you have been engraved. Your name has been engraved. That means no matter how bad you are, you can never be taken off. Are you with me? In fact, the catch is this. In the new covenant, God ends the new covenant by saying this. And their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. The entire new covenant, God says, I will be a God to them. I will do this. I will do that. I will do this. I will do that. For or because their sins and lawless deeds, I will remember no more. The reason why I will be a God to them, I will bless them. I will favor them. I will, I will five times is because I will remember their sins no more. At the cross, all our sin was removed. Now, now, even when we sin, you cannot blot out our names. We have been engraved on his shoulders. Isn't that beautiful? Now watch this. The onyx stone was put into gold, right? It was put into gold. Gold speaks of righteousness. It speaks of divinity. All right. But take it like this. It stands on his shoulders, speaking of his strength. When the high priest comes into the presence of God, when God sees Jesus, he sees us being carried on his shoulders. And when Jesus carries us on his shoulders, what did he say about the lamb? Look at verse five. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, doing what? Rejoicing. Jesus doesn't bring us into God's presence and go, I found him again. (laughs) <laughs> he brings us into God's presence and he sings. He dances. He says, oh, Father, I brought Matthew again. Oh, Father, Matthew came to me again. And then what does he do? Look at verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, what? Rejoice with me. The very next verse he goes on to say, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents than there is of one who doesn't need to. And he 
We, for years, we thought all the angels rejoice when one sinner says, I, I surrender. But really, he didn't say the angels rejoice. He said there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Meaning what? God rejoices more than all the angels combined. Every time you come to him, every time you have a problem and you come to him, you say, Lord, I'm dealing with this issue. I need you to take care of this. He has you on his shoulders and he rejoices. Isn't that beautiful? Can we keep going? Let's keep going. Next one. Now watch this. Exodus 28. This is the next piece of, uh, I don't know, it's not a furniture. (laughs) This is the next piece that goes on the high priest's garments. Verse 15, he says this, you shall make the breastplate of judgment. And we all know this as the, um, again, the breastplate, the high priest breastplate. But here he calls it, you shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine woven linen. You shall make it. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little tricky. I started doing some research my whole life. I thought it was just one solid square of gold. And on the gold, you had the stones. And I'll show you a picture in just a moment. But before we do, notice, he says this. You shall make the breastplate of judgment. Of judgment. The word judgment here is also the word for decisions. Okay? You shall have the breastplate of decisions. And it goes right here. Now, I'm going to show you in just a moment. Notice it says this. Uh, artistically woven. Now, my, my believing is beginning to shift a little bit. I'm not believing that it was solid gold. I'm believing that, and I'll show you in just a moment, that it was actually the fabric. Now, why is that so unique, the fabric? Because the fabric, the four colors represent the four Gospels. Are you with me? Let's keep going. I'll show you in just a second. Go ahead, Carmen. Can you show the next one? Now, watch this. Notice where the breastplate is, and I obviously it's found in the Word, but what what vital organ does the breastplate cover? The heart. I submit to you, I was studying this about two months ago. We were doing the high priest garments on our, on our midweek service. I studied this about two months ago. And I started to realize that there are some correlations between the high priest garments and the, the armor of God. All right? Now, I'm not going to go through all of it. But you remember, I think it was two or three Sundays ago, we did spiritual warfare. We ended by saying this. In Isaiah, I think Isaiah 59, if I'm not mistaken, God says, I will put on my own armor. Remember that? And he says, I'll put on the helmet of salvation. I'll put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then he says this, I will put on garments of vengeance and go out and fight the enemy for you. Very interesting, right? Very interesting. As I was studying that a while back, I saw something unique, all right? The breastplate. In the armor of God, in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, take on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. So we know that the breastplate speaks of righteousness, right? But what does the breastplate cover? The heart. It covers the heart. When you are established in righteousness, your heart will be at peace. But when you're unsure about your position with God, you should be terrified. All right? But don't worry, you are not in your own righteousness. You are in the righteousness of God. In fact, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. So watch this. The breastplate covers the heart. Now, can you show the next verse? Watch this. Again, same verse we saw, but let's skip down to verse 17. Verse 17 says, and you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, an emerald. This shall be the first row. Now, you see the first stone mentioned is what? Sardius. If you look it up, a sardius stone was actually a red stone. Red. What does red speak of in the Bible? Blood. Blood. Now watch this. Keep going, Carmen. I'm going to skip down. You can. Okay, we'll just read it. Verse 18. The second row shall be a turquoise, a sapphire, a diamond. The third row, uh, I'm not going to mess it up, an agate, and the amethyst. 
And look at verse 20. This is the final row. Verse 20. And the fourth row shall be a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. Say jasper. And jasper. They shall be set in gold settings. So every stone was put in a gold setting, and the gold setting was put on the breastplate. Are you with me? Now watch this. Sardius is red. Speaks of blood. Jasper, when you look it up, it's actually a transparent color. It's actually, you can see through it. Jasper speaks of purity. It speaks of perfection. In order for us to come to God, we must start with the sardius, the blood, and then we become perfect. You want to go? Can we go one step deeper? Watch this. Show Revelation real fast. Keep going. Watch this. Revelation chapter four. In Revelation four, John says, I looked and behold, a voice from heaven called me and said, come up. Verse two, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Verse three, and he who sat on the throne was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. Now, notice what stone we started with, the sardius. We ended with jasper. Now, when John sees Jesus on this side of the cross, glorified, he doesn't see the sardius first, jasper second. He sees the jasper first, the sardius second. Why is that? For us to come to God, the blood had to make us perfect. Now on this side of the cross, Jasper, perfection, our perfection, the foundation of our perfection is now the blood of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That's why you are perfect. Not because of how good or bad you are, but the blood of Christ is the foundation of your perfection. When John saw Jesus elevated in all his glory, exalted on high, he saw what first? The perfection and the blood underneath. Are you with me? I didn't lose you, did I? <laughs> Let's keep going. Can you back up, Carmen? Back up. Now, right, right here. Verse 21. I'm sorry, verse 20. He says, a jasper, they shall be set in gold settings. Now, one more time. Gold speaks of righteousness. It also speaks of divinity. But every single stone that was set, 12 stones, 12 tribes of Israel, every stone has its own gold setting. What does it mean? And on every stone... The name is engraved. Again, it's a type of all of us. Our names are engraved on a stone. And on that stone, I'm sorry, not on the stone, but it's, it's put in the gold. In the gold speaks of what? His righteousness. Now, I'll show you the verse to back that up in just a moment. But before we do, uh, where are we at? Look at verse 21. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, 12 according to their names. Like the, can you keep going? Like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the 12 tribes. Keep going, Carmen. Past Revelation. Keep going. Right here. Watch this. Skip down to verse 29. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate of judgment over his heart. What does the breastplate cover? The heart. God wants to make sure that nobody misses it. He wears you over his heart. Why? Everything external is for us to see that it's internal on him. Our names are not written on his heart because if it was written, it could be blotted out. But your names have been engraved on his heart. When he comes before God, God says, Jesus, what's on your heart? He says, Matthew's on my heart. <laughs> Even when Matthew makes a mistake and Jesus doesn't want to talk, he, uh, he doesn't. But when I don't want to talk about Matthew. He's making me angry. He says, what's on your heart, Jesus? I can't take it off. He's on my heart. <laughs> are you with me? You are engraved on his heart. And watch this. When he goes into the holy place as a memorial before the Lord, continually. That word continues, same word for forever. Now watch this. Can you show the next one? 
Look at this. She quoted my verse this morning. I thought she was going to talk about it. I'm so glad you didn't, Miss Cook. Psalm 37, verse 4. Watch this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the what of your heart? Desires. Now, there's two ways you can look at this. Watch this. I'll bring this to a close. There's two ways you can look at this. Delight yourself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. For one, Jesus delighted himself in the Lord. All of us failed at that, but Jesus succeeded. He delights himself in the Lord daily. So when you delight yourself, God gives you the desires of your. God gave Jesus the desire of his heart. And who is on his heart? We are. So what did God give Jesus? He gave Jesus you. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't ask for someone else. He asked for you because you are on his heart. And because you were on his heart, I'm talking about before you received Christ, you were on his heart. So God gave Jesus you. He gave him the desire of his heart. Let's keep going. We saw this as ourselves for so many years. When you, when you delight yourself in God, he will give you the desires of your heart. Now that is true because this verse says, when you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. But again, God is not looking at me to judge me. God is looking at my high priest to judge me. So what happens? I say, Jesus, this is bothering me. What moves me moves him, right? What moves me moves him. If you remember the story with Lazarus, when Jesus showed up at Lazarus' tomb after Lazarus was dead for four days, on the way to raise Lazarus from the dead, you know what he said? He's not dead, he's just asleep. And they were so convinced that Jesus was telling the truth that he wasn't really sick, he was asleep, that they said, well, Jesus, we don't need to go, he'll wake up in time. Finally, Jesus had to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Are you with me? So he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But on the way to do it, when he arrived, Martha comes before Jesus first. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Right. Then Mary comes to Jesus. She falls at his feet. and She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. And the Bible says he dropped to his and he wept. He wept so much. In fact, the Bible says he wept so much that the people around said, surely he must have really loved Lazarus. Look how much he's crying. Now, I submit to you, why was Jesus crying? Did he not know he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Was he taken by surprise? Clearly not. He said himself, we're going to go wake him up by faith. We will go and wake him up. He knew what was going to happen. So why was Jesus crying? Because what moves us moves him. When he sees your heart is broken about something, it breaks his heart. And God is not looking at me to judge me. God looks at my high priest. So when Jesus is as he is in his presence, when God looks at Christ, he says, Jesus, what's on your heart? Not just Matthew. I have Matthew now. But Father, this thing is really bothering him. This thing is breaking his heart. So it's breaking mine. And God says, then I will give you the desires of your heart. Are you with me? I will give you the desires of your heart. I had a hat on earlier, and uh, Carmen can be a witness to this. Last night, we were hanging out with a couple of friends, and Parker decides at 2, I'm going to show out. Now, me and Parker haven't really had a moment yet. Now, we've had a few moments uh, when he was a little bit younger. Parker's 2. So last night, he goes, I'm going to have a moment. We're going there, Dad. We're going there. Let's do this. So I, I'm like, i got to find somewhere where no one can hear me. He that has ears to hear, let them hear. So I said, okay, let's go somewhere where no one can hear me. So I take him outside. I'm thinking no one can see me. So we go outside and we have a moment, father to son. I'm old school. I believe in spanking. I'm just going to say it. I believe in spanking. I'm old school. So we go outside. We pull the pants down. Old school. We do it. So at first I thought, okay, this is good. We went back outside. Second time. We go back outside. Third time. Third time in less than 10 minutes. We're outside again doing this again. About this time I look up and I see the neighbors across the street having a barbecue. They have all stopped. 
They are all looking at me. About 20, 30 people are like, whoa. And at this point, I was kind of embarrassed because I'm like, you know, you don't want to do this in front of people. But I'm like, well, we already put on the show. Let's keep going. So <laughs> he got it again. But I had this moment where Parker finally, I guess he just something snapped. And he goes, Dad, this is it. So he turns on me. And then we go into that mode. All right. So Parker turns on me. I'm going on him. And we just go at it for about 10 minutes. He and I, about 10, 15 minutes, we just, me and Parker, going at it. But I'm the parent, so I always win. I can hold out longer than he can. He finally breaks. He cries. We go in the house. He just, he's just broken. He cries. Now, the night ends, but as I was getting ready for church, um, in fact, Kelly came and grabbed him, his uncle. Kelly comes and grabs him. He sits in the car with him for about 15 minutes. He wears himself out crying because he's so upset. Finally, I get him. I sit in the car with him. He looks at me. He's angry at me. He just drops his head. He's just bawling. He puts his head in my chest, and he just falls asleep. So we had this moment. I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay. I know at this point, pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. If you don't know what else to do, just pray in the spirit. In fact, pray in the spirit before you come up with a plan. But it was too late. (laughs) He sleeps. I'm praying in the spirit. And the Lord just brought this back to my mind. What I was going to share today. He will give you the desires of your heart. And for years, again, we were taught, delight yourself in the Lord. Then he will give you. But no one ever told me, Jesus is my high priest. And God will give him the desires of his heart. Now, what seems like it's. I don't have enough faith to believe God for this. My high priest does. Our high priest has the faith to believe God for it. So if you don't have the faith to believe God for it, believe that your high priest has enough faith to believe God for it. And as your high priest is, so will you be in this world. So I was sitting in my car and Parker is knocked out sleeping. I just said, Lord, I don't want this to be something that carries on to tomorrow. I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm going to believe that as this breaks my heart, it's breaking your heart. You will do something. Now, if you know anything about our household, let me say this. On Sunday mornings, I'm always the first one up. I usually hug and kiss Christina and Parker on the way out. They wake up sometime after me. This morning, Parker wakes up at 6 o'clock in the morning. He is ready. Hits the ground running. I'll wake up with him, let Christina get some rest. But as I'm there, he only wants to play with me. And the first thing he does is he runs to me, he grabs me, he hugs me and goes, Daddy. And I'm like, yes. He goes, I'm sorry. I'm like, what are you apologizing for, man? (laughs) What are you apologizing? He's like, I'm sorry, Daddy. (laughs) He said it like 20 times. Now I'm having this moment with the Lord and the Lord's just reminding me, hey, I will give you the desires of your heart. What did I do to get that? I didn't do anything. Well, Matthew, you prayed in the spirit. Yes, when you pray in the spirit, things will happen. But I feel like in my mind, I prayed in the spirit at the wrong time. I should have prayed in the spirit first. Maybe he could have given me the discernment. He's tired, Matthew. Don't do this. Or Matthew, he just needs to go here. Or Matthew, do this with him. Talk to him. But at that point, it was too late. I'd already spanked him like four times. We've been outside for 15 minutes going at it. So in my mind, it was too late. But the Lord is reminding me when you trust that it's not you, it's your high priest. I can still give you the desires of your heart. Now, I want to say this to you because mostly everyone here is a parent. Listen, I have not figured it out. I am... I am the, I'm so much further than the rest of you. I have not figured out this parenting thing. I will by the grace of God. But in the process, I want to encourage you, no matter where your children are, and no matter what it looks like they're going through, if you don't have the faith to believe it, just say, Jesus, this moves me. So I know that it moves you. And as you are, so am I in this world. God will give him the desires of his heart. And you are on his heart. Amen? Can I, can I show you one more thing and we'll close? We've gone long enough. Show the next verse. Real quick, the stones are in, your name is engraved, but it's put in a gold setting. Gold speaks of what? Righteousness. Watch this. Oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. 
Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundation with sapphires. Wow. What did we just see? <laughs> what did we just see? In fact, can you back up real quick and show them the picture? Back up. Look at that. I will lay your stone with gems and your foundation with sapphires. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> That's you. Your name is inscribed there and it is on his heart. You can go back to Isaiah. I'm going to read Isaiah to you real fast. I want to read the, the context because the context makes it so much better. This is my last verse, so I'll close with this. Is that all right? Isaiah 54 starts off with this. He says, sing, O barren. And don't forget, Isaiah 54 comes after Isaiah 53, right? Because 54 comes after 53. Isaiah 53 is all about the servant that suffers for all of us. And by his stripes, you were healed. Jesus dies for us in Isaiah 53. So because of his death, Isaiah 54 is now the result. Are you with me? Isaiah 54 says this. Sing, O barren, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. You who have not labored with child for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Let me say this. If you're asking God for fruit in a specific area and it seems like everyone else has gotten it, let this verse comfort you this morning. Sing, sing, sing. Thank God that you will have more than those who are gloating over you because you don't have as much as they do. Are you with me? Verse two, enlarge in the, enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left, and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. Uh, let me skip down. Where are we at? <laughs> Skip down to verse nine. Sorry, skip down to verse six. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, like a youthful wife when you were refused, says God. For a mere moment I have forsaken you, but with great mercies I will gather you. With a little wrath I hid my face from you in a moment, but without, but now with everlasting kindness, I will have mercy on you, says your redeemer. Watch this. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. Verse nine. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth. So have I sworn that I would not be angry with you nor rebuke you for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy. Watch this one more time. He says what? My kindness shall not depart, nor shall my covenant of peace Covenant of peace be removed. How can he say that? How can he swear that? Because Jesus has died. Are you with me? So now we know the context. Pick up at verse 11. Oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest and not comforted. Behold, I will lay your stones with colorful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stones. Now watch this. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. I put all in bold. You can't tell. Not some. But how many of your children? All. That's why I said, whatever, wherever your children are, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry. All your children. All. All your children shall be taught by. I put by in bold. Not about, but what? By. <laughs> all your children, not some. All your children shall be taught by the Lord himself. And great shall be the what of your children? Peace. The word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom. Shall be their wholeness, their wellness. Shall be the favor of God on their life. Shall be their health. T- it doesn't matter what your children are going through or what it looks like they're going through. God's promise to you is this. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Now, what's our part to play in this? Because 
Every church has to tell you your part to play, right? Let me show you your part. This is beautiful. And great shall be the peace of your children. Show the next verse. Watch this. In righteousness, you shall be. That's your part. That's your part. And when you saw the high priest's garments, your name is engraved on a stone in a gold setting. Established in the gold setting. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) Your own his heart established in his righteousness. You shall be far from oppression. You shall not fear. I declare in the name of Jesus, this is becoming true for everyone in this church. You are coming to the place where oppression will be far from you. And you shall not be afraid. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Don't let people preach and teach and tell you, well, it's going to happen because it happens to the best of us. Jesus did say you will have problems in this world. Take heart because I've overcome the world. But I declare in the name of Jesus, the time will come when oppression will be far from you that it won't even come near you. Indeed, they shall surely assemble, but not because of me. Whoever assembles against you shall fall for your sake. And what's your part to play in righteousness? You are established. The beauty of this is this. It's not your gold. It's not your garment. It's not your outfit. You're not even the one wearing it. Jesus comes into God's presence. And when God looks at Jesus, he sees Jesus's righteousness. And when God sees Jesus's righteousness there, established in his righteousness, he sees your name engraved on his heart. And God says, because you are established in righteousness, great shall be the peace of your children. Oppression shall be far from you. It won't even come near you. You will no longer have to be afraid of what tomorrow holds. You will be far from it. And show the last verse. Can you back up one comment real quick? What was the last one? He said this. All your children shall be taught. Great shall be your peace. And go forward one more. Sorry. I'm sorry. Go forward. (laughs) My fault. Right here. In righteousness you'll be established. You shall be far from oppression. You shall not fear. I didn't put the verse up there. You can go to the last one. It's blank. I didn't show the very last one. We all know it. Fred Hammond sang it. That song became very popular. No weapon formed against you. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from, says the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? When God looks at Jesus, he says, Jesus, who is that on your shoulders? He rejoices. Jesus, who is that on your heart? That's who you're in love with. Then I'll give you the desires of your heart. Amen. My hope for all of you is this, that in the days to come, that you become more confident in Christ, that you become more confident in Christ and less confident in yourself. And as you continue to look to Jesus, as you continue to look to him, that your expectations increase, that your hope increases, because as Jesus is, so are you in this world. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus and all that he is to all of us. And Father, again, we declare that as Jesus is, so are we in this world. All the things we have yet to discover, all the things we have yet to learn about him. I thank you that as Jesus is completely and totally, so are we in this world. And Father, I ask right now, any area in our lives, in our physical bodies, where our bodies are not as Jesus's body is, we thank you that by faith, Our bodies are becoming and lining up to as Jesus's body is right now, right now in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you that in you we have wholeness in you. We have completion in you. We have health 
In you, we have strength. Father, I thank you that you're renewing everyone in here under the sound of my voice. You are renewing us back to our youth, back to the days of our youth. So, Father, we thank you again for making Jesus the standard of how we are in this world. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you would just stand to your feet and lift your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord bless you in your going out and in your coming in. May the Lord continue to open doors of opportunity for you this week. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you and your families always at the right place at the right time. May the Lord keep you in all that he's committed into your hands. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you. And may you enjoy his peace this week. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. If you would.